Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for May 2nd, 2018. On today's show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film senior editor Ben Pearson, and joining me today are writers Y. Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. All right, guys, uh, let's jump right into the news today. Uh, there's actually a news item that happened, or the story that broke a couple days ago that we haven't had a chance to talk about because we've been mostly talking about Avengers Infinity War on recent episodes of the podcast. But this one sounds pretty awesome. And, and Chris, I wonder if you could walk us through that for me. Uh, yeah, so John Woo, uh, famous action director, he directed Face Off and several other films, is remaking his film The Killer, and he's remaking it with Lupito Nyong'o in, in the lead, which is uh, a big departure from the original, which uh, had a male lead played by Chow Yun-Fat. Um, the original film is about a uh, assassin who accidentally blinds a woman. And he feels uh, guilty about um, what he's done, so he you know, he tries to atone for that. So, um, yeah, this is very exciting because I, I love John Woo. I love Lapita Nyong'o. I love all this stuff. I love the original Killer. And, you know, while I'm not exactly huge on remakes, the, the, the fact that it's John Woo remaking it himself and he's uh, switching the gender of the lead, it just sounds very cool and a very interesting way to approach this material. Yes, I agree. Uh, HT, have you seen The Killer, the 1988 John Woo movie? So I actually haven't seen The Killer, but I'm still excited for this movie regardless because the movies I have seen of John Woo, I'm a huge fan of. And I'm really excited to see Lupita Nyong'o finally take on uh, a few lead roles or be offered some more lead roles because after she uh, won the Oscar for 12 Years a Slave, she kind of disappeared for a little bit. And now we're kind of seeing her her come back in full force with Black Panther, now The Killer. And then there's another uh, spy film with... Um, a whole cast of women that we were talking about that came out yesterday. The, the news came out yesterday. So I'm very excited for just Lupita Nyong'o's star to rise. Yes. I think that spy film you're referring to is called 355. So I'll, I'll link to that uh, right up in the show notes as well. But yeah, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to this particular news story because I, I really love the original killer. And I think that and hard boiled are like the two big John Woo movies. And if anybody has not seen those films, 
you don't have to like dive deep into a, a filmography. You can really just watch those two movies and get a really great sense of what he, what the heyday of John Woo movies were like. And um, the notion of Lupita Nyong'o taking on this lead role is is very fascinating. The the gender swapped angle is interesting. And yeah, like Chris said, Woo coming back to direct it. He hasn't directed anything that people, I guess that, I mean, this may sound mean to say that people have really enjoyed for a while. Chris, I think you were telling us that you saw one of his more recent movies, right? Uh, yeah, he has a new film called Manhunt, which is debuting on Netflix this this Friday. And I saw it at TIFF last year, and uh, it's all right. It's not. It's definitely not one of his best films. I mean, if you like John Woo, it's, it's a fun film to watch because it has a lot of his you know, his trademarks with the slow motion and the doves and all that stuff. But it's definitely, it wouldn't be my first recommendation for someone to watch a John Woo film. Right. Yeah, that would definitely be the killer for me. So go check that out if you haven't seen it. Uh, let's move on to our next story, and that is Movie Pass. We've been talking a lot about Movie Pass really for like months on end, it seems like. And uh, one of the recent conversations we had was about, about how the subscription service company has basically... Um, well, HT, why don't you just run through it for us? So a few weeks ago, MoviePass, uh, there were reports that MoviePass was uh, rolling out its popular one movie a day monthly plan because it was offering a new promotional plan, uh, which was a three-month plan for about twenty nine ninety five, And it would only allow subscribers to see four movies a month, although they would get a complimentary free trial of iHeartRadio's all-access on-demand streaming package Yay. for all those iHeartRadio fans. So this uh, stirred up quite a bit of controversy because a lot of the reasons that people um, signed up for MoviePass was because of this possibly great deal of one movie a day for $9.95 a month. And uh, rolling that out was... Um, cause a bit of an uproar amongst subscribers. So a few weeks later, it seems that MoviePass is dropping that $29.95 promotional deal and reverting back to the one movie a day plan for $10 a month. Yeah, so I think what happened was the new plan was basically just for new subscribers and people who were already subscribed to MoviePass. It didn't really affect them. But we were talking a lot on one of the recent episodes of the show about how taking away that one movie a day option just sort of um, it, it removed a lot of the uh, the glitz and glamour of MoviePass. That was like a big reason that people were interested in the service in the first place. And it's weird because in this news story that you wrote up, it, it quotes uh, Mitch Lowe, who's the CEO of MoviePass, and he basically is like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we were always going to bring it back. Like, it was, it's no big deal. But, like, he's the one who started the whole conversation that we had just a few days ago because he was like, I don't know. It might not come back. So, like... Yeah, what... this whole thing sort of reeks of backtracking just because it was so wildly unpopular. And, you know, like, back back uh, when they first instituted this new promotional plan, like you said, he was like, I don't know if we'll bring back the 995 one movie a day plan. So, it has it kind of adds fuel to the fire of movie pass not really have going forward with a big master plan it kind of they, the service kind of wings it as it goes along and this isn't the first promotional plan that movie pass has had they offered for a short amount of time the annual plan which was the equivalent of 6.95 a month uh, and those were for some short promotional periods as well for new subscribers only so this was um Definitely something that I, it might have been temporary and we don't really know. But first, the way that 
Mitch Lowe spoke about it, made it seem like it was something that they were considering to put into full effect. Yeah, it strikes me as just a ploy for more headlines, and I'm mad that we have given it the time that we've given it because it seems like we're playing right into their hands. But We are the movie pass blog after all. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's move on to our next item, and that is uh, John Boyega has teased a time jump that might happen between the events of Star Wars The Last Jedi and Star Wars Episode Nine. Uh, we know that J.J. Abrams is coming back to direct Episode Nine. And in an interview with UK Finance, John Boyega recently said, I can't wait to start shooting the next and final leg of the franchise. The first step is growing out my hair so you can wait for the trailer to see why. So the idea of him calling this the final leg of the franchise, I don't think is accurate. I think Kathleen Kennedy, the president of Lucasfilm, has previously said, quote, we're looking at narratively where that might go, future stories beyond episode nine with these new characters, Ray, Poe, Finn, and BB-8. So I, I think there's probably larger uh, machinations going on at Lucasfilm in order to bring these characters back. But the thing that uh, that sort of struck me about John Boyega's comment here was the idea of him growing out his hair. And that, I mean, you know, we're <laughs> at this point, uh, Star Wars Episode Nine doesn't come out until December 20th, 2019, so we're almost as far away from that as as we can be in terms of like being in between uh, numbered Star Wars sequels. So we're desperate for any details we can get about this movie, and if we have to parse through the idea of of John Boyega growing out his hair to play Finn and what that might mean, that's where we are right now. So he, uh, the idea that he will grow out his hair basically implies that there's going to be a time jump between those two movies. We know that uh, The Force Awakens ended and The Last Jedi essentially picked up right where that movie left off. And it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case this time. If he's got longer hair, we can presume that months, maybe even a year or something has passed in between films, which sort of takes things back to the more traditional original series, original trilogy uh, vibe uh, in terms of the time that took place in between movies. So I just thought it was sort of an interesting thing. You can read a little bit more about that in the piece. Um, do you guys have any thoughts about Star Wars Episode Nine at this point? I know, like I said, we don't really know much about the movie at all, but does a time jump, does that sound like something you would want to see, Chris? Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't know if it's something I want to see, but I think it does make sense because the way the the force awakens ended you're, there was really nowhere the next film could have gone except to, you know, immediately following that final moment where, you know, Ray holds out the lightsaber, but the way the last Jedi ends, ends with, you know, everyone sort of uh, coming back together and, you know, jetting off into space. And it, it makes sense to jump forward a little bit, especially because, uh, you know, Carrie Fisher has died since then. So it'd be kind of impossible for the film to pick up, immediately after the last Jedi ends because she's still alive at the end her character is still alive mm. at the end of the last Jedi so I think maybe that explains why they're jumping ahead a little bit because they have to have that sort of time jump to say oh you know Leia has died since the last film right not to bring everyone down or anything <laughs> uh HT what about you? you have any thoughts about this no, yeah, I think it makes sense, too, uh, because, you know, the resistance is depleted, so they need to uh, bring it to a new era and build up their numbers, and we also have the implication of Broom Boy in everyone, so oh, maybe yes. we'll see an, a grown-up Broom Boy. <laughs> Who knows? The Adventures of Broom Boy. Yes, you got to uh, give Broom Boy time, John... time to go through puberty. <laughs> yes, exactly. 
I'm just hoping that John Boyega, by saying he's growing out his hair, has like long flowing locks or something. <laughs> yeah, dramatic growth would be <laughs> an interesting turn. Um, Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit about what the hell is going on with Deadpool 3? I know Deadpool 2 has not even come out yet, but you wrote an article earlier today talking about uh, the, the enigma that is Deadpool 3. Uh, yes, yeah, so Ryan Reynolds, he's already doing some Deadpool 2 uh, promotion in Korea right now. And he, he did this uh, video interview in Korea, and it's about like it's a 40-minute it's long video. And I watched the whole thing, so please have sympathy for me to find this <laughs> quote. And uh, so what he said was, he said, this is a direct quote. Uh, it's an odd thing to say, but I don't think there will be a Deadpool 3. I think going forward, it will be an X-Force movie, which would be his team, so to speak. And uh, I was uh, really taken, I think we all were a little taken back by this in the, the Slash film Slack, because it just seemed sort of inevitable that a Deadpool 3 would happen. And uh, so, you know, when I was writing up the story, I did some digging, and it seems like no one really knows what's going on here. I mean, the back before... Deadpool 2 was even finished filming, a story broke saying Deadpool 3 would introduce the X-Force. But as we all know now from the trailers of Deadpool 2, Deadpool 2, 2 is the film that introduces the X-Force. So I'm not really sure what's going on here. And, you know, from a personal standpoint, I really don't think Fox would just give up on Deadpool. That's too profitable a name. So, you know, even though... I doubt Ryan Rounds is making this up. He, he clearly would have some sort of inside info. I think no matter what happens, the next film is definitely going to have Deadpool in the title because it would just be silly for Fox to just give up on that brand recognition. Right, yeah. I, I, even if the X-Force are a major part of Deadpool 2, I can't imagine they would just drop the word Deadpool from the title because general audiences aren't going to know that not everybody is going to go see Deadpool 2 although that movie is probably going to make a ton of money this summer when it comes out um, one of the things interesting things that you mentioned just now and that you found in this piece was you, you talked about Ryan Reynolds probably knowing a little bit about what he's talking about he's been a, a key creative force in bringing Deadpool to life but one of the other people that is involved in these movies is Rhett Reese, who is one of the writers on the original film. And I think he wrote the, or co-wrote the second film as well, if I'm not mistaken. Um, what did he say about Deadpool 3? And this was like a little while ago, right? Uh, yeah, so he has a, a bit of a longer quote, so I won't read the whole quote. But basically what he said was there are two different movies being developed right now. One is Deadpool 3 and one is a, a straight up X-Force movie. So... Like you said, Ben, that quote was a little while ago, so maybe since then they've decided to combine them into one movie. I, I really don't know. It just it just seems, at the very least, it seems like Fox is kicking around a bunch of ideas and they haven't quite landed on one they want to do yet. But I'm almost positive after, you know, after Deadpool 2's opening weekend numbers come in, we'll hear that Fox has officially greenlit Deadpool 3. It just seems impossible for that to not happen. So, HT, I think you probably like the original Deadpool a little bit more than either Chris or I, but do you want to see a Deadpool 3, or would you rather just see them roll it into an X-Force solo movie and sort of kickstart that separate franchise? What do you want to see happen here? Eh, I don't know if I have much more, much of a better opinion of Deadpool than, than the both of you. I'm kind <laughs> of just... 
middling on it. But okay. right. um, uh, I don't know. It depends on the X-Force that we see in Deadpool 2. I feel like I have yet to see whether uh, they can hold the movie on their own, although I like what I've seen in the trailer so far, especially of, uh, what's his name, Peter? Yes, yes the, yeah. the scene-stealing Peter, my favorite. Um, so uh, I don't know. I do think that they probably have some problem with like the brand recognition, but people will go see most superhero movies these days, uh, regardless of whether there's brand recognition or not. Yeah, and I think Drew Goddard, who wrote, uh, oh, well, he directed Cloverfield. I think he directed, um, or wait, was that Matt Reeves? I, now I'm forgetting. <laughs> Drew Goddard, I think he wrote and directed The Cabin in the Woods. Um, he is yes. supposed to be directing uh, the X-Force solo movie, whenever that is. So I guess we'll we'll have to wait and see what happens. I, I really, I for one enjoyed Chris's suggestion earlier that uh, Deadpool 2 is going to kill off all of the X-Force members that they uh, immediately introduce in this movie, like MacGruber style. I think that would be kind of hilarious, but uh, then it'll, it'll be up to drew goddard to come up with an entirely new x-force team uh for his solo film so i don't know if, if fox would actually do that or not but it would be hilarious and very appropriate for a deadpool sequel to do something like that um ht tell us a little bit about the handmaid's tale the uh there's a, a bit of news about the new hulu series Yes, so The Handmaid's Tale Season 2 just premiered last week, and the numbers that it brought in were uh, double the amount that the Season 1 premiere brought in, and which was uh, great news for Hulu. Uh, Hulu met another milestone with uh, 20 million subscribers this week as well. So on the aftermath of that, they recently renewed The Handmaid's Tale for Season 3. So I have finally caught up on The Handmaid's Tale, and HD, I think you've probably seen, how many episodes of the second season have you seen already? Because I know you wrote uh, a review already. Yes, six episodes of season two so far. Okay, so uh, so how many episodes are in this season, do you know? Um, I think there will be 10 episodes. Okay. I might be wrong. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I, I think I just wanted to get, I know, just in case for people who haven't read your review yet, and I'll link to it in the show notes so everybody can have a chance to check it out. But um, what did you think about, I guess, trying to keep it as spoiler free as possible, because I know Chris hasn't seen any of the show yet. But uh, what do you what did you think about the first couple episodes of season two? Personally, I found them to be <laughs> sort of even more depressing than the first season. Um, oh, yeah. What do you think? They definitely double down on just like how bleak and abysmal the tone of Handmaid's Tale is. And while that's really difficult to watch, I do like how character driven and intimate the, se- the second season has been so far um, in a way that it's less focused just on June. It kind of expands its scope to the other uh, characters, which I really like because June, while she's a really fascinating protagonist, uh, having being solely in her POV is feels like it was kind of limiting the series and now that we're fi- we're finally expanding beyond that I feel like the show is kind of finding its own identity beyond Margaret Atwood's book yeah and it really it sort of reminds me of Orange is the New Black in that way where like the mm-hmm. first season of that show was mostly about Piper but it was sort of like a, a stealth introduction to what the show was really going to be about which is expanding uh like you said the scope into all of these different characters that inhabit the prison and it seems like a similar thing is happening with Handmaid's Tale so yeah I'm I'm excited to see about uh, what they do with season three because the end of the first season is right there uh, aligned with the end of Margaret Atwood's book and there's nothing else there in terms of source material so they're completely off the chain they're like doing whatever they want now um and yeah it'll be interesting to see how they 
you know, strike out on their own and, and do their own thing. Um, in terms of another TV show renewal, uh, HBO has also renewed Westworld for season three, which is probably the least surprising news story that we had this week because Westworld is obviously a very popular show. Everybody's talking about it all the time. Chris, you're actually writing uh, weekly recaps for us. Um, so they didn't really give us any details in terms of like how many episodes there were going to be whether Jonah Nolan and Lisa Joy, the showrunners, are going to be coming back, although I'm sure they probably will. Uh, Chris, what did you think about Westworld getting a, a renewal? Do you, In terms of what you've seen so far from season two, is this an encouraging thing? What do you think about this? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really like the show. Um, I liked the second season of what I've seen of it so far. I've, only, I've seen the first five episodes more than the first season. So I'm definitely interested in them keeping it going. I do feel like sooner or later, they're going to sort of run out of, uh, there's only so much you can do with this premise. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, the original Westworld movie was literally about leading up to the big robot revolt. And then the robot revolt happened. And then the movie ended. I mean, the, the show we're already at, you know, the big robot revolution. I don't really know how much more you can do with that. I mean, is like the third season going to be, the robots are back to being docile again. You can't really do <laughs> right. much with that. Right. So I, I do feel like uh, I can't picture many more seasons of this, but I, I'll definitely watch season three. Yeah, I um, the second episode of season two is called Reunion, the most recent episode that aired this, this past Sunday. Uh, was very disheartening to me because I just found it so repetitive and like all the characters were just sort of roaming around and saying the same things to each other and Ed Harris's Man in Black was just sort of spouting philosophical nonsense and it just felt like the show was really spinning its wheels when it wasn't diving in and, and revealing some of the history of Delos. That stuff I found really interesting, but I think it's just... Um, Evan Rachel Wood's character like I I appreciate the tremendous challenge that it must be for her to portray that that role because there's so much going on with that character but it seems like in season two at least in these first two episodes it's more like the show is excited about showing us Dolores being this revolting uh, or, or revolution revolutionary badass and I'm already sort of bored with that notion. So the idea of Westworld already being renewed for season three, like I said, it sort of feels inevitable, but I'm just hoping that the writers have something else up their sleeves in terms of where they can take that character or just kill her off and make Maeve the, the main protagonist of the show, because I'm much more interested in what she's doing anyway. So I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about that? I, I gotta say, um, so when I wrote the uh, I wrote the season review based on the first five episodes, I watched all five episodes back to back. You know, it, it probably like in two sittings. I will, you know, I I, sh I, I, sh I binge them essentially, and I didn't notice any sort of tedium when I was watching it that way. I was really into it, and you know, now that I'm doing the weekly reviews as well, I'm going back and rewatching them one at a time. And I gotta say, you're right. The, the second episode, while it seemed fine in the middle of a binge, it does drag a little. So it, it's, I don't know. I, I feel like this is a show that actually works better. Uh, once it's all done, you can binge all the way through it than watching it episodically, which is unfortunate because this isn't a show like you know, a Netflix series that gets dumped all at once. So, right. yeah. Uh, HC, are you planning on catching up with Westworld or is that not really a priority for you right now? Uh, I mean, I actually heard from others that season two is 
better than season one just because it doesn't focus so much on the puzzle box um, aspect of it. And while that may be like a big deciding factor for a lot of people who like the mystery, I actually think I am more interested in catching up to season two just because I don't really feel like a show that's actively trying to confound me every week. So right. yeah, I think I'll, I'll, I'll try to catch up. Yeah, let me know what you think when you uh, when you do. So let's move on to our next item, and that is the Power Rangers brand has been acquired by Hasbro. So uh, Hasbro, the toy company, has been making movies in Hollywood for about a decade now. The first Transformers came out in 2007, and they are forming what they're referring to as the Hasbro Cinematic Universe. And it seems like they've just acquired uh, a new entry, a new player in that cinematic universe in the Power Rangers. So we know that uh, Saban, the company that uh, owned the Power Rangers brand, and ever since it began with Mighty Morphin Power Rangers back in the early 90s, has sold everything, like the the branding, the intellectual property, the, the movie rights, TV rights, toy rights, all that stuff to Hasbro. And that probably means that we're going to be seeing another Power Rangers movie sometime soon. And I would guess that it, it's not it's not a crazy thing to assume that the Power Rangers will probably be facing off against the Transformers or Rom the Space Knight or Mask the Marble or I'm sorry the Mobile Armored Strike Command team which are some of these other projects that are in the works in the uh, the Hasbro Cinematic Universe. Um, Chris I know you recently saw the Power Rangers movie for the first time the one that came out last year uh, after seeing that and because I haven't seen that movie admittedly after seeing that and knowing about this acquisition what do you think about the idea of seeing another power rangers movie potentially with the characters facing off against some of those other familiar properties uh i don't want it um <laughs> I, I i admit that I, I i liked the the new power rangers movie much more than i thought it would it was it was an entertaining film and elizabeth banks uh is very good in it in the sense that she's just completely over the top and they let her do whatever she wants but I'm really not uh, eager for Power Rangers versus Transformers or any of that stuff. Just please, I don't, I don't want that. Don't, but, don't stop now. But Chris, what if Elizabeth Banks, as Rita Repulsa, is riding around on the back of a Decepticon? Does that not oh, sound appealing maybe. to you? <laughs> maybe I'll see that. I guess it depends. I'll have to wait for the trailer. Okay. All right. So let's move on to our last, I believe our last uh, topic of the day, and that is the Ant-Man and the Wasp trailer. I think this came out yesterday morning, um, and we, we had already banked uh, an episode of Slash Film Daily, so we didn't get a chance to talk about it. But I'm interested to hear what you guys think about this. Ishii, uh, did you get a chance to check out this trailer? I did. I liked it a lot, actually. There's, I liked it more than all the than the past uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp trailer, just because I felt like it really leaned into the gimmicks that made uh, Ant-Man so fun. And we did get to see Evangeline Lilly's character speak, so that was exciting. Uh, there was more Michael Pena, which is always a good sign. And there was, of course, that scene of the ant uh, drumming, which <laughs> was just like the proper amount of ridiculous uh, borderline cartoonish fun that I needed a, a Marvel movie that's not Infinity War. Chris, what did you think about this trailer? This looks really good. Um, I don't hate the first Ant-Man. I just think it's an okay movie, and I'd probably never even really want to rewatch it ever. But this looks this looks better in almost every single way. It looks funnier. It looks uh, better directed, even though it's the, the same director. I don't know. Um, it's so 
I'm I, I'm very excited for this. I loved the you know the giant ant playing the drums that everyone's talking about, all that stuff. It looks really good. Yeah, I, I think one of my favorite moments is when um, Evangeline Lily's wasp sort of throws this uh, salt shaker at a doorway and then manages to use the pim particle technology to make it huge and block the door. And there's this this shot that it cuts to right after that where, where the camera is sort of inside the salt shaker and there's like a piece of glass that that, that is like the, I guess the outside of the salt shaker where the, this guy this henchman sort of runs right into it and I just thought it was a really clever um, way to visualize that scene and I, I'm hoping that we're going to see a lot of that kind of fun size change kind of stuff in, in this movie. Um, I don't know how much I'm, I'm probably not allowed to say anything about this, so I'll just uh, leave. <laughs> More about Ant-Man and the Wasp will be coming soon. I'll leave it as vague as that. Um, and I guess that'll that'll wrap up today's episode of the podcast, unless you guys have anything else to say about uh, this particular trailer, anything else that, that stood out to you guys. I know the, the drumming ant was pretty amazing. Any other highlights? Walton Goggins. Walton Goggins, yes. Yeah, we, yeah, I think we know he's playing a guy named Sonny Birch. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he does in this sort of a crime-centric vibe. You know, the, the first movie was was sort of a, a heist film, but it had like uh, Luis and the Michael Pena's character and those guys um, and the sort of the outskirts of the law. And I wonder how uh, maybe... Um, Walton Goggins' character knows them from a, sort of a previous life kind of scenario. Um, one other thing I guess I wanted to mention really quickly, you're talking about that drumming ant, which is a ridiculous image. But uh, Brad pointed out, uh, Brad Oman, the weekend editor of Slash Film, pointed out in our Slack channel that you can see Scott Lang's, um, what is it called, like a homing device, his, his house arrest bracelet, anklet thing, is on that drum, or on the ant when he's drumming. So it seems like Scott was able to switch that over to this ant, and maybe that's how he's able to go off on his adventure, because uh, in Infinity War, they mention a line about how he had to take some sort of plea deal after the events of Captain America Civil War, and he went into house arrest. So, uh, yeah, just, you know some things to, that you can discover and, and learn about that movie. And actually Brad did a whole trailer breakdown. So I'll link to that in the show notes as well. Um, oh, one, a couple more things I actually wrote down that I wanted to mention before we completely wrap up this episode. Uh, Chris, you have, have put out the second entry in your 21st century Spielberg uh, series, right? Uh, yes, I have. It's, it's up now on slash on.com. It, it's, um, uh, I, I'm doing this ongoing column that looks at the 21st century films of Steven Spielberg and you know sort of reevaluates them because I, I personally think they're some of his best movies. Um, right right now the the edition up now is Volume Two. It's it focuses on Catch Me If You Can and The Terminal. And please, I urge all of you, go out there, read it, retweet it, get it out there because uh, it takes a lot of work. These are like the the most detailed things I've I've ever written for the site. So. I want people to read them. Yes, it's very good, and I'll link to that in the show notes. And one other thing I wanted to give a quick shout-out to was Joshua Meyer wrote an article for us called 12 Iconic Marvel Comics Moments That Avengers Infinity War Brings to Life. And I had to edit this piece because uh, Jacob Hall has been out of the office for the past couple days, and it's a really, really great article. I mean, I probably would have stumbled across it on our own site anyway, but I got a chance to read it before it went live on the site, and it's up now, and everybody can read it, and it's really great. It shows uh, comic panels 
and explains what happened in the movie and it shows just how much um, Marvel Studios was able to sort of rip directly from the page and translate onto the big screen for Avengers Infinity War. So I just want to encourage everybody to check that out. It's really a a great piece. So that's going to do it for today's episode of Slash Film Daily. You can find this show on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, rate, review, subscribe, do all that stuff. You can send us your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to peter at slashfilm.com and make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention the email on the air. Um, Don't forget to rate and review, like I said, on on iTunes especially because that helps us out a lot with the numbers. Uh, Tell your friends and spread the word about the podcast before we fully sign off. HT, where can people find more of your work online? You can find me every day at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at HTranBooey. Chris? Also SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at CEvangelista413. You can find me writing at SlashFilm.com as well. My name is Ben. You can find me on Twitter at Ben Pears. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you tomorrow.